0: a robber was, had broken into a home and it was pitch dark and all of a sudden he heard a voice in the background saying, Jesus is watching you. That kind of freaked him out a little bit and he made a couple more steps towards the middle of the house. The same voice came out, says, Jesus is watching you. Flicked on his flashlight, looking around, said, who is that? And he happened to shine on a parrot sitting on inside of a cage over in the corner of the kitchen. And the robber said, who are you? The parrot said, Moses. And he looked at the parrot and he started to laugh and he said, what kind of people would name their parrot Moses? (laughs) The parrot said, the same kind of people who named their Rottweiler Jesus. (laughs) 2 Kings, chapter 6. I'll have to tell my wife you guys actually laughed today. (laughs) No, 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 no. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Aram is an old Uh, Name for Syria. So we're looking at the present state of Syria, but back in the Old Testament times. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God time and again. Elisha warned the king, so that he was on guard in such places. In other words, Elisha was hearing what the king of Aram was saying, what he's going to do, and so he would tell his own king of Israel to avoid where the king of Syria was going. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, "'Will you not tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel?' One of his officers said, None of us, my lord the king, but Elijah the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. The king said, Go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, He is in the city of Dothan. So the king of Aram sent his horses and chariots and a strong military force there. They went by night, surrounded the city. The next morning, when the servant of man with well, a servant of the man of God, the prophet, got up and went out. He saw an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. <clears throat> kind of would freak somebody out. The servant asked, Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? What shall we do? The prophet answered, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah, the man of God, prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Open my eyes, Lord. Father, thank you for these next few moments. As we look at your word, we pray that you would open our eyes. You would give us understanding, eternal understanding, from your word, which is eternal, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain forever and forever. Help us, O God, as we look at this passage of Scripture to be enlightened and for our faith to be strengthened in Jesus' name, and everyone said. Years ago, it was a true story of a missionary who was going to the island of Papua New Guinea where headhunters, cannibals, live. He had been praying that God would prevent violence, especially on himself as a newcomer, to people who had never seen a white man before. And one day, as the missionary was heading towards the camp where these headhunters were, he uh, recognized a party of them coming towards himself. And they did not look like they were going to sit down and have tea and crumpets with him they had bows and arrows and spears and as they approached him to do him in all of a sudden their eyes got huge and they looked and they started speaking in their particular dialect turned around and fled a few months later as the missionary was finally inside this group of people and beginning to learn their language Did he finally learn that what these guys saw who were coming to kill him, to do him in, they saw four big giant men surrounding around the outside of this missionary. Of course, we know that they were four mighty protecting angels. Quite a story, true. I remember reading about it one day and how God had supernaturally protected this missionary who eventually, as a Waycliffe Bible translator, was able to spend years and years and years with this group learning their language, writing it down, and then writing the language, uh, translating portions of the New Testament, and then teaching these people how to read their own language. It's quite quite a feat. And that's what the Wycliffe Bible translators do. Well, there's two separate worlds of vision. <clears throat> I just wanted to share that with you. The first one is the physical world of vision. That's the one we're very much associated with. Although daily we see with our physical eyes a lot of things, we don't see the other realm of vision that is, it can be available to us. The older we get, the more help we need to see this physical world around us. Glasses, laser treatments, cataract surgeries, glaucoma. I had cataract surgery on this right eye a few years ago, and now I'm due for the left eye. It's getting blurry. I've had to wear glasses ever since I turned 25 because I see double. Right now when I take them off, some of you appear with two heads instead of one. And as you know from your high school science, if you stayed awake in class and were bored to tears, that we only see the electromagnetic spectrum in the visible light range. If you hold a prism, Next to a white light, what happens to it? It splits into the colors, right? Do you remember what the colors were? Roy G biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. The red end of the spectrum are the larger waves. And if you go past the red, you get into the area that you cannot see. Infrared is one. Gamma rays radio waves, TV waves, Wi-Fi waves, those are wavelengths from the electromagnetic spectrum that we cannot see. And then if you go into the shorter wavelengths at the end of the visible light, which is blue, indigo, violet, if you go to past that into the very short range, ultraviolet light, X-rays, microwaves, These are things that we cannot see. You click on your microwave, you don't see how your food is heating up. You can't see the the waves coming out of your microwave machine, but it's doing the trick because the waves are so tiny. All we see is the physical light portion. Now, imagine if we could see the whole thing. If you were able to see, like Superman, I guess, walking down the street, you were able to see radio waves. I mean, the whole atmosphere would be full of waves. And then the second part is the spiritual worlds. It's an unseen world that out there, the spiritual realm. The Bible says for us to concentrate on the spiritual realm, not on the physical realm that we see. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18 says, therefore we do not lose heart. We're not discouraged though outwardly we are wasting away. That's true. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. We're becoming supermen and women inside because of our faith. And then the scripture that Paul writes to the church in Corinth continues, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And in verse 18 he finishes, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. The spiritual realm, it's unseen, but yet it is eternal. What we see today in the physical realm will not last. It will all be burned up. It will all... Be gone. That's why I sometimes I cringe when I think about Christians who really get into trying to save the world from climate change stuff and, and, you know, green, making sure the world is green. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but then there's an extra amount of energy placed into that because one day this world is going to be renovated with fire according to the gospel in Peter's letters. In the New Testament, there's a story about Paul, the apostle, who was blinded on his way to Damascus, Syria. He met the Lord. He was going there to persecute Christians, to pull them out of a Christian setting that they were in, to worship the Lord, to to arrest them to bind them up and to bring them back to Jerusalem because he hated the church of Christ and he was on the way to Damascus. Damascus is still still there today. It's an ancient city. It's been there for years and years, centuries and centuries. And the Lord met him on the road, knocked him off of his horse, and then blinded him for three days. Paul couldn't see. Scary. And then he had a man named Ananias that God spoke to to come and to pray over him. It says in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, Ananias went to the house where Paul was and entered in, placing his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Paul, Saul, now Paul, his scales fell off his eyes so he could see physically, but more important, he could see spiritually that what he was doing was all wrong, and God had to redirect him to, instead of destroying the church, arresting it, to give the church extra energy to build it up Because the church is the instrument by which God reaches this world. In the time of the kings, where this passage of scripture that I read to you, Israel was divided into two portions. The northern end, which was called Samaria. whose capital city was a city called Samaria. And all of the kings from the northern part of Israel were wicked, every one of them was not a follower of God. The southern portion of Israel was called Judah, and many of those kings were good kings. They wanted to follow the Lord. Elijah, J-A-H, was a prophet that was raised up by God to speak to the northern part of Israel. You guys are blowing it. You're not doing what is right, what God wants you to do, and there is judgment coming. And he did that for over 40 years. He chastised them for their idol worship, which is what America is into now. It's one of the reasons why church attendance, even in the larger churches, is waning because there's too much going on out there, too much to grab our attention, too much to to get us away from hearing the Word of God as we need to and having our faith built up. Elijah was told by God that his days were numbered. He was going to be taken up into heaven. And so he started to groom a younger prophet named Elisha, S-H-A. And sure enough, one day the two of them were walking. Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me entering into heaven, you will be double blessed by God. You will be doing things twice as Twice as much as I did. The miracles that I did, you will see twice as many as those. God will certainly anoint you. And as they were talking, the Bible says a chariot of fire and horses came down and separated the two of them and then picked up Elijah in a whirlwind with those fiery uh, horses and chariot and went into heaven. So Elijah is only one of two people in the Bible who has never experienced physical death. The other one is found in Genesis chapter 5. His name is Enoch. The Bible says he went out one day, Enoch did for a walk, and God just loved him so much he took him home without seeing death. Those two have been presumed to be the ones that come back as the two witnesses in Revelation. And I, we spoke about that last year. So now we have Elijah gone. Elisha is left, and Elisha now does miracles, many miracles, and he is uh, now preaching again to the kings of Israel to to confront the evil. And that's where this passage comes into play. Elisha is hearing secrets from the king of Syria, who is speaking to his men, in the, in the palace, and he's saying, look, this is what's happening. We're going to meet Israel on a certain day, and we're going to capture them. We're going to kill them. The very words he speaks, the Holy Spirit takes the words, sends them right over to the ears of Elisha, hundreds of miles away. It's like Elisha uh, it has a radio connected to, to the king of, of Aram's uh, uh, court. And he goes, okay, he's going to do this, okay, good. Hey, a king of Israel, you better beware because these guys are going to come and capture you at this place, so avoid it. The king of Aram finds out about it and he goes, this ticks me off, which one of you is betraying me? None of them are doing that. One of them says it's because of the prophet Elisha. The king goes, find this guy, we're going to capture him. We're going to make sure that he doesn't do that anymore because I want to do in... I want to capture and destroy Israel and its king. And so sure enough, they went down there. They found out where he was living in a small city there in northern Israel. They, he, the, the king of Aram sent down a military unit. They surrounded the city. And at night and the next morning, you know, here comes uh, Elisha's servants, you know, walking outside to get the newspaper And he looks up and he sees a a military force completely surrounding all around him. And they don't look very happy. They look mean. And they look like they're going to take care of him. And he goes, what are we going to do? Master, look at this. And out comes Elisha. And he goes, oh boy. He says, look. He says, you know what? You really don't get it, do you? And then he looks to heaven and he says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And at that moment, Elisha's servant's eyes were opened into the spiritual realm. And he not only saw the Syrian army surrounding him, but he saw a much larger contingent of angels on their horses and chariots around, surrounding the Syrian army. And I'm sure... Elisha's servants going, whoa, man, far out. This is really something. Hey, I'm going to hang around with you for a while. You're you're pretty good. The story continues. As the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed that they would be blinded. They were. By the time they reached uh, Elisha's house, getting ready to capture them, they couldn't see a thing. Then they ask for help, and Elisha says, Sure, I'll I'll, I'll guide you uh, to to the right place that you need to. So he leads the whole Syrian contingent over to the king of Israel. He says, Your majesty, there they are. There's your enemy. And the king of Israel goes, Oh, boy, now I can get them. I'm going to kill them. Elisha says, No, don't you touch them. You need to feed them. You need to give them water, their horses, themselves, and then send them back on their way. And sure enough, the king of Israel obeyed Elisha, the prophet. He didn't touch the enemy contingency from, uh, from Syria. He fed them, was kind to them. They went back, they told their king. And the Bible says that from that day forward, the king of Aram left, no longer had raids into Israel to try to capture the king of Israel. Peace happened between them, simply because of this whole incident. It pays to have your eyes open. Let's go through in your bulletin as an insert. Number one, it says we will always have enemies. You're going to have enemies all your life. Psalm chapter 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Christ the shepherd is telling us that wherever you go, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like you in the physical realm. And there are, in the spiritual realm, forces of darkness that are trying to get you off track, that hate you. I remember hearing a story about Cardinal Joseph Cushing from the New York City Diocese. He was asked years ago by a young reporter who said to the great Cardinal, You are so loved and admired. You really don't have any enemies, do you? To which the cardinal replied, Young man, I have made more enemies in my life than I have friends. Many of them have become my enemies because of my stance for Jesus Christ and his word. And he says, I thank God for my enemies. For if I had no enemies... I would have become very arrogant, and then I wouldn't be good for anybody. Our enemies keep us humble. They keep us, uh, they reveal our hearts, condition. Do we want to get revenge on them like the king of Israel? Do we want to wipe them out, or do we want to be kind to them? How we respond to them in bitterness or gratitude makes a world of difference. Enemies come in human form, folks, but listen to me. They're motivated by the forces of darkness. David's enemies hated him fiercely. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 19, David writes, See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, people just don't, don't like you. They, yeah, I know, I know there's a couple of you here. Based on your story, yes. And I, I told you about nasty number one and nasty number two at the Raleigh's Headquarters building for years. Nasty people did not like me. His enemies hated him fiercely. But in the next verse, he says, God, guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Hallelujah. We will always have enemies. Can't get away from it. That's the way it is. Secondly, Our battles and struggles originate in the spiritual realm. Spiritual realm. That's where everything takes place and then it plays itself out in the physical realm. Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, somebody who hates my guts. My struggle is not with him. It's when the spiritual forces of darkness behind that person motivating him to feel the way that he does or she does about me. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. That's where our struggle comes from. It's the spiritual forces that are out there. Can we defeat them? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, try it. You want to fight? I can't see you, but I'm going to start whipping my arms out. Maybe I'll punch something. No! It's silly. They're powerful, and they're out to get us. They're our enemies. When David fought Goliath, he was facing the giant, the Philistine giant. <clears throat> and he was getting closer, and the giant was taunting him, and David was going, man, this guy, he's got to go. Not only is he ugly, but his breath is bad. And he said to him in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Verse 45, he goes, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, you know, physical weapons, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty. David knew behind that giant were forces of darkness that were were coming against, rebelling against, insulting the God of Israel. The source of all conflict and war and Turmoil and trouble is the sin nature of man that is stirred up by the enemy of our souls. That's the way it is. That's always been that way. And we think it's people around us that don't like us. No. No, that's not it. I remember when I taught a Bible class, I was a Bible instructor for 18 years over at the Bible College in Sacramento, and there was one student, and all of those students that I had that I, I had a lot of difficulty with. I don't know what was. I didn't know what his problem was. He would get to class, he wouldn't look at me. He made off the wall comments to the students around him. He would look at his phone during the lecture time, uh, like some of you are doing now. I'm see. I, I, there was a. We had a lady who was a worship leader at our church years ago, and I remember she was sitting over there where Marissa was sitting, and when I would start preaching. She'd she'd be on her phone, and one day I I confronted her. I said, what are you doing? She goes, Pastor, I'm following you on my phone. All the scripture's right here. oh, okay, sorry about that. (laughs) This guy was doing other things. He wasn't even into the lecture. He wasn't even into the discussion. And I I said, you know, I I really sense this is a spiritual battle, so I asked him after class one day. I said, Tim, let's go out and get something to eat. Let's do, it. Let's do it before class next week. You want to do that? Yeah, okay, that's fine. So we sat down and we talked and we talked and he shared with me. I asked some questions about his past and he began to reveal what was going on. And I really felt for him because he had come from a hard place and he was dealing with a lot of things. And from that moment on, I had him. He was, he was with me. He realized that I really cared for him, and I prayed for him. I told him that. I said, Tim, we're, we're going to get through this together. It's a spiritual battle. Our battle originates in the spiritual realm. Thirdly, God is able to open our spiritual eyes. God is able to open our spiritual eyes. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Elijah prayed to have his servant's eyes open. There are other instances in the Bible where that happened. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 19, Abraham and Sarah's servant, Hagar, well, she was kicked out of the house because uh, Sarah and, and Abraham were in a hurry for him to have a baby, and they went ahead of God's plan. And so uh, uh, Sarah encouraged Abraham to lie with his uh, with her servant, Hagar, and he did. And she got pregnant and, this, and the, had the baby, Ishmael, and then the jealousy started and the fighting started and that's what happens when you go outside of God's will and finally they booted Hagar and her baby out at this time he was a younger he was an older older uh, child and they were dying of thirst in the desert and the lord had her eyes opened by god to, to see a well of water she actually placed her son near a bush and she went a little distance so that she wouldn't see her son die. And God spoke to her, had her open her eyes and see a well of water. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 31, the false prophet Balaam was on his way to prophesy to the king of Moab, Balak, about Israel, to, to try to say some dirty things about Israel uh, to the, 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 pre, the, uh, the king of Moab. And God did not want him to go, so he sent an angel in the pathway. The donkey that Balaam was riding on saw the angel. And he started to buck and started to move around and, and back and forth uh, in the road. And, he was, and Balaam was whipping the donkey. What's the matter with you, man? And the donkey began to speak to Balaam. I've been a trustful sir, you know, donkey all these years, and now you're abusing me? And all of a sudden... God opened Balaam's eyes and he was able to see why his donkey was giving him a hard time. There was this huge angel with a flaming sword ready to do Balaam in because of Balaam's disobedience. And then, of course, after the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected, he was on the road to Emmaus, a little town nearby Jerusalem. There were two disciples there and they were talking among themselves all the events that had happened and the, the Passion Week and the, the resurrection or the, the crucifixion, the arrest, the crucifixion, and then the, uh, the, the burial. And they, they, they you know, their Messiah, their hope was, was killed. And so they're talking and Jesus walks up next to them and starts talking with them. And they invite him to their house for dinner. And the Bible says, as Jesus broke bread with them, and they still didn't recognize him, all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they realized they were talking with the resurrected Messiah. They saw him with their own eyes, but it had to be spiritual eyes. God can open our spiritual eyes to see what he sees. Some of you are wondering why things are going the way they're going in your life. I don't know. But I do know that God can do great things in your life. He can open your spiritual eyes to see and to understand why things are happening. Fourth, God has everything under control. Everything under control. Now think about it for a second. He who created the heavens and the starry host, all the living things that we know of, Mankind, I saw yesterday on the news uh, this zoo uh, keeper that is preserving uh, the uh, sperm of white rhino species that is slowly becoming extinct and they were making a big hoopla about it. I mean, all of that is the, the master creator spoke and all of these things are happening, had happened to us that the word of the lord by the word of the lord were the heavens made the starry host by the breath of his mouth for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it stood firm he who created that and then he who holds all things together colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 what that means is that there each atom in our body that make up the molecules in our body each atom that makes up the molecules there's a force that holds them together. If Christ were to go, eh, that's it, we would blow apart and disintegrate. He who holds all things together by His power, He who has created all things, He is the one who's given you life, Is has your life under control, has my life under control. Our lives will not get out of control unless we choose to forsake God. He has our lives in control. He is committed to directing our steps. Some of you are wondering, I don't know what my next step is. That's one of the reasons I, I interviewed Pam this morning, because you know she she had done what she could and it seemed like there was a standstill. But God directed the hearts of the people at that heritage apartments over there and gave, them faith, gave her favor in their eyes. God can do the same thing with you. He directs your steps. Psalms 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my hand on you and watch over you. Elisha's servant felt overwhelmed. Like, Whoa, this is a, we're, we're toast. They're going to come in and just skewer us like shish kebab. It was out of control for him. And Elisha, the man of God, knew it was under God's control. How many of you know who Dave Ramsey is? Financial gurus, Christian gurus. Anybody understand? If you've been through a seminar, he tells his story. He and his wife were like, yay high, underneath credit card debt. I mean, they they were sinking fast. And they prayed. God sent some people to help them to begin to budget, manage their money. And they got so good at it that they not only paid off all of their debt, but they began to conduct seminars for other people who were in the same position they were, and they started this financial financial seminar. And Dave, I know, related in the seminar on his testimony that they felt like they were out of control with their finances and that God was working behind the scenes to bring it more under control. God has your life under control. Fifth, God's army always is larger and more powerful than the enemy's army. Elijah's response to the servant of his frantic, terrified statement says, Don't be afraid. In verse 16 of chapter 6, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, And the soldiers had come, and Peter, impulsive Peter, took out a sword and sliced off the ear of uh, of one of the servants of the high priest. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Do you not know that I can call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? A legion. What's a legion? A legion. According to the definition, is a Roman unit with six thousand soldiers. So twelve legions, or seventy-two thousand angels, Jesus could have called down into the Garden of Gethsemane at that time. When Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, chapter eighteen, verse thirty-six, Pilate is giving him a hard time. He says, "Look, man, I can I with with one." Twist of my hand, palm, I can put you to death. And Jesus goes, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate had asked him, you're a king. They're calling you a king. What is your kingdom? He was sharing with them. Jesus was saying that his servants would fight for him. And then this is the kicker. Revelation chapter 20. We went over that last fall. Revelation chapter 20, to begin the thousand-year millennial reign. Get this. The apostle John sees an angel, verse 1 of chapter 20, coming down out of heaven, just an ordinary angel. Oh, having the key to the abyss, which was a holding area of torment for the devil. And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him with that chain for a thousand years. Then he threw the devil into an abyss and locked it and sealed it over him. An ordinary angel, one, got a hold of the devil and threw him into that abyss. God's angels are always available for us and they always win. They are always more powerful and more numerous than whatever forces of darkness the enemy has for us. Understand that. Take it into your hearts, please. And then lastly, things always appear worse than what they really are. Isn't that true? They always appear worse than what they really are. Imagine going outside your house one day and see an army of people from Vacaville, angry people, wanting to do you in, saying, we don't want the Dixonites around here anymore. We want to expand our city and gobble you guys up. Our sin nature takes on fear easily when we get into a pickle, especially when we feel overwhelmed our fear causes us to blow circumstances out of proportion, making a mountain out of a molehill. Isn't that true? We do that easily. I, I, I have a tendency to do that. I, th- I look at something and I go, oh my goodness, how is this going to work? And I always blow it out of proportion. And God is working on my life to calm me down and speak to my heart. And say to me, look, Elisha's servant, it's going to be okay. I've told you the story of how I quit my teaching position in 1990, teaching high school for 10 years. I felt led by God to do that. He answered very clearly a fleece that I had put out before the Lord. And so I resigned right in the, about two weeks before school started, which did not make the uh, administration very happy. I picked up a job delivering pizzas for one of my friends who was in my wedding. I picked up a job vacuuming the floors of a furniture store. My wife was pregnant with their youngest son, Andrew, at the time. We had no medical insurance, so we thought, and we were looking at a big pile of bills just in the medical world, not to mention anything else going on in our lives. We had just purchased a house And we had the mortgage to look at as well. But God provided. We found out that an employee from Capital Christian Center had forgotten to take my wife off of the medical insurance list after she had resigned to have the baby. And so she was covered, praise the Lord. The little money that I received delivering pizzas, getting tips from that, and vacuuming floors, and then going to construction sites, and picking up recycled bottles, which I still do today, reminded me that things are not what they always seem to be. That God is in control. Psalms chapter 23. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. We get so wound up with life and God is saying, yo, take it easy. Relax. Chill out. I've got this under control. I can handle this. You're my child. I haven't taken you this far to let you drop. I'm going to take care of you. We will always have enemies. Our battles originate in the spiritual realm. God is able to open our spiritual eyes. He has everything under control. His army is always larger and more powerful than the enemy's army. And things always appear worse than what they really are. There's a lot in that passage, isn't there, huh? Spiritual eyes. God, give us spiritual eyes to see and open them. Father, I thank you for this wonderful time of opening your word. I pray these, these words that I've spoken, I believe that have come from you and from the written notes would encourage us. Lord, that you would help us to be relieved of stress and the things that we pile on ourselves because Lord, you have everything under control. The enemy looks daunting and overwhelming and whispers stuff into our ears and we listen and we become fearful But God, I pray that you would overwhelm the enemy and that you would lift us up, breathe life, peace, joy in our hearts. Help us, Lord, and lead us beside the still waters, beside the green pastures. Bring peace to our hearts. We thank you for that. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Now may the love of God the Father the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you today and throughout this week in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for your word today. Open our spiritual eyes.